Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, there's also an outline in your program if you want to follow along there. Uh, We're in a series this summer uh, on the book of Hebrews, and I encourage you to be reading through uh, that whole letter, 13 chapters long, and uh, it's rich, it's deep. Uh, Some parts are hard to understand. It refers to the Old Testament a lot, and if you don't know your Old Testament real well, you'll have bit of trouble understanding at least parts of uh, the book of Hebrews. So I encourage you to read through it several times, maybe even use a good study Bible uh, to help you with, uh, with some of the passages. And it's, it's a very challenging book, really. When you really get serious in reading the book of Hebrews, it's extremely challenging. For example, our passage today, Hebrews chapter 2, we're just going to look at the first four verses. Here's the key question that it raises, and here's the key question for you and me today. The question is, are we drifting? Are we drifting further away from Christ? Are you purposefully moving closer to Christ, or are you drifting away from Christ? The danger of drifting. This is the issue that Hebrews 2 raises. Uh, Sandy and I just uh, got back yesterday from a, a week's vacation up north. Uh, Sandy and I and our daughter Carrie and her husband Seth and their little son Bentley, uh, who's four months old now, uh, the, the, the five of us went up and we stayed in a nice home on a lake and, and there's a pontoon and kayak there. And, and we, just, we just had a great, a delightful family time, very relaxing, uh, just enjoying the water and just, just enjoying family. And uh, I remember one time on another vacation several years ago, Sandy and Carrie, they, they had these rafts, and they were out uh, on this lake, and there was a, the kind of a strong current. And they would get out there, you know, a few yards offshore, and they would relax, and, and they would start to drift. And you know how it is when you're out there on the raft, you're kind of half sleeping, maybe even fall asleep, and you're out there, and you kind of wake up and go, oh my, like 100, 200 yards down down from where they were supposed to be. And, and so they, 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 they work all the way back up and get, and they would relax again and they would drift and they kept fighting this until finally we said, hey, let's find a way so you don't drift, some, some way to like anchor them in. So we got these ropes and we, it wasn't that deep so we could go to the bottom. We found some of these, these larger rocks and we tie the rope around the rock and kind of anchored them there so that, so that they, could, they could float on their rafts and, and not drift away. You see, what do you have to do to drift? Nothing, right? Just do nothing. Just, just relax and do nothing, and you will drift wherever the current wants to take you. Drifting is so easy. Just do nothing and you will drift. And, and this is the point that Hebrews is making. In Hebrews 2, we learn that a great danger we have in our lives is this danger of drifting. And he tells us how not to drift. He tells us how to stay anchored in Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses. Let's look at it together. We must pay attention, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore. Now, this therefore, he's concluding his argument from chapter 1. 
He started off by saying, you know, God has spoken to us through the prophets and in all kinds of ways in the Old Testament, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us this great message of salvation through his son, who is the image of the, the invisible God, the radiance of his glory. He's more he's superior than the angels. And, and so we have this new covenant that's better than the old covenant. And, and he says, therefore, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and, and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Pay attention. Don't drift away. This is what God is challenging you and me with today. Here's the question. Are you drifting? Maybe you have been a Christian for years and years, maybe decades, but you're drifting. Maybe, you know, life is full of currents, Life will, will just gently tug you and pull you in all kinds of ways that you don't even want to go, but you just kind of, how did I get here? Kind of like Carrie and, and Sandy floating out on those rafts. You kind of just relax a little while, you go with the current, and you kind of wake up and go, oh my goodness, I'm way off course here. How did I get here? This can happen to you in life. What he's talking about here is the, the, the danger the tragedy of an aimless life. You're not doing anything really bad, but you're not doing anything really good either. You're not on fire for the Lord. You're not plugged into any church. You're not serving. You're not loving. You're not caring. You're just kind of drifting, and drifting is so easy. Just do nothing. It's silent. It's subtle. You don't even realize that it's happening to you. And you're drifting further and further away. That's what's happening with some of you right now. Some of you are getting further and further away from God. And you're hardly aware of it. It's so gradual. You don't know how far you've gone. Maybe you're deeper into sin than ever before before, and you, you, you never thought you'd be this far. You're doing things now that you never dreamed of doing before. You've drifted and drifted further and further. The, the two words that he uses here when he says, pay attention and don't drift, were actually Greek words that were often used back in those days to describe ships. A, a ship would be coming into the harbor, and it had to pay attention and stay the course and fight the currents so that it would stay on course and come safely into harbor. Because if, if the captain wasn't really paying attention, it could drift off course and shipwreck. 
Is this you? Are you about to shipwreck your life because you're just floating with the currents? Are you staying the course or are you drifting? There are three dangerous currents that I want to highlight from Scripture here. The Scripture warns us about these three dangerous currents that if you don't pay attention spiritually, these currents will just pull you away from Christ. The first dangerous current is pressures and pleasures of life. The pressures and the pleasures of life. In Luke 8, Jesus tells a story, a parable. He says that the gospel is like a seed planted into the ground. And he says in Luke 8, 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Notice what Jesus says here. He's basically saying you need to pay attention. When you hear the word, you need to listen. You need to pay attention, or otherwise life's worries and riches and pleasures can choke the gospel right out of you. You're choked by worry. You start paying so much attention to the the pressures of life and the pleasures of life, the riches of life. And you're pursuing all this, and you, that's where all your attention is. And you stop paying attention to Christ. You're drifting. You're just floating away from Him. And it's so easy. All you have to do is nothing because the current of our culture just moves us away, and it's so easy to drift along with what's happening with everybody else the pressures and pleasures of life. There's a second dangerous current, and it's intellectual doubts. Intellectual doubts. We live in a skeptical society, don't we? We live in a very challenging society. And you can start to wonder, is this really true? Is there really a God? And is Jesus really true? Well, what about this? And what about that? And how can I know for sure? I really feel for our, our, our young kids who, who, you know, you're graduating from high school and maybe you've even grown up in the church and you just kind of assume your Christian faith because a lot of your friends and your parents and all that. But then you go off to college or university and you realize, wow, there's a big world out there. And there's so many other people who don't believe what you believe, and, and you even run into a, a teacher, a professor, who will challenge you and make fun of you and say, oh, the Bible isn't true, and Christianity isn't true, and Jesus isn't the only way, and, and, and you don't have all the answers, and, and your faith is challenged. And, and rather than leaning into that and wrestling with that and, and finding some answers and staying the course, you kind of just quit paying attention and you start drifting away because that's the current and you're just floating along with everybody else and you're in the minority because you know it's so hard for you to stay on track for Jesus see it's hard to be passionate about something you're not sure is true this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 3:15 but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So notice what he says here. You should always be prepared. When people come to you and say, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, what about this? What about that? You should, you should know your faith well enough 
You should do some study enough so that when people ask you, you have some reasons for your hope in Christ. And notice he also says, do it with gentleness and respect. You know, don't be a jerk about it, but, but do it with gentleness and respect. So I ask you, do you have intellectual doubts? Are, are you convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? There's some great books out there that I, that I encourage you, and I, I've mentioned some of these before. There, Timothy Keller has a great book out called The Reason for God. Timothy Keller, The Reason for God. Josh McDowell and his son have, have written a great book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I remember getting this book uh, actually like 30 years ago or maybe 40 years ago from Josh McDowell, but now his son, I believe Sean, is, is now grown up and has his Ph.D. in all this sort of thing, and, and they have re-edited that, that book and updated it, and it's, it's still called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell. Lee Strobel has a great book called The Case for Christ. Here's what I want to tell you today. I believe that when you really lean into it and face your doubts, rather than just, you know, ignoring them or drifting away from Christ, but when you lean into it and study it, you will discover that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. I believe that. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. And I know something about this because I've shared with you many times over the years that my own father is an atheist. And so I have been very personally challenged with this. And as I have had to lean into it and deal with all these questions, well, what about this and what about that and how do you know for sure? I think it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does a Christian. So maybe you're here right now and you have some intellectual doubts. That's fine. I, I encourage you, don't pretend that you don't have these doubts. If you have these doubts, be honest, be real. And, and we should give each other permission to say, you know, I'm struggling. I'm doubting. I wonder. I have questions. I have these, these issues. And, and, and we can talk about it together. We can study together. We read some books like this together. But you lean into your doubts. And you, you learn, actually, to doubt your doubts. Why is it that we doubt our faith but never doubt our doubts? <laughs> See, it's Satan at work trying to, trying to take us away from Christ. And I believe so many people, they, they have kind of just drifted away because they don't lean into their doubts and deal with these issues. So we have intellectual doubts. We have the pressures and pleasures of life. A third dangerous current is our own sinful nature. Our own sinful nature. Scripture is very clear on this. You and I have a sinful nature that in this life never goes away. Do you hear me? You and I have a sinful nature that in this life never goes away. Now, thank God, when we die and we go to heaven, then it's gone, and heaven will be a wonderful time and a wonderful thing. But here in this life, there will always be spiritual warfare. There will always be some kind of spiritual struggle going on in our lives. This is why 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter is writing to Christians here. And he says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. This is war. This sinful desires that we have. 
Spiritual warfare. Can I ask you a question? Those of us who have been Christians for decades, wouldn't you think it would get easier by now? I mean, really? I can remember being 20 years old and, and finally realizing I'm going to become a pastor and I'm studying. I'm thinking, oh man, by the time I'm 30, by the time I'm 40, by the time I'm 50, oh, by the time I'm 60, oh man, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to know the Bible frontwards and backwards and I'm going to have all the answers and, and I, I'm going to be so mature and I'm going to, you know, surely 30, 40 years from now, I'm going to really have my act together and oh my goodness. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> there's always spiritual warfare. Now, hopefully, maybe it's a different struggle than it used to be. You used to have this kind of sin, this kind of flaw. And yes, there can be wonderful transformation and victory in your life where you gain obedience in an area where it was really hard for you before. But here's what's happened. Here, here's, here's what happens to us. As you draw closer and closer to Jesus, who is the light, and his light shines brighter and brighter on you because you're getting closer and closer to him, his light reveals more and more of the darkness in your own soul, hidden down there in the crevices and corners of your mind and your heart and your soul. And you become aware of things maybe that you weren't hardly aware of before. And, and God in his grace, he says, well, let's just shine the light a little bit this way now. And you go, oh, I see. I realize I have this, this sin this, this flaw, this, this issue, and now, now you want me to address this and deal with this. And, and it's your whole life long. And what happens is, over the decades of being a Christian, one of Satan's strategies is to get you to think, I've arrived. I can drift now. Oh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, well, I don't have any spiritual struggles. I, 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 don't, I don't have spiritual warfare going on in my life. Let me tell you, if you're thinking that right now, there's a high probability you're drifting. Because think about it. If you're drifting, it means what? There's no struggles. And, and if, but if, if you're wanting to draw closer to Christ and you have the sinful desires going against that, you have the pressures and pleasures of life, you have all these other currents going on, and you know you want to go this way, and you've got to fight all of these other currents, that means there's going to be some kind of struggle. And it's intentionality where you're paying attention, and you're saying, yes, I want to be closer to Christ, and I'm going to stay on course. I don't want to drift. I'm, not, I'm going to fight against these other currents all around me, our own sinful nature. This is what Hebrews is telling us. Never get lazy. You never get to the point in your spiritual walk where you can just say, okay, I'm going to drift now. No, do not drift. You must always pay attention. Because we have these currents that want to take us away from Christ. But Hebrews does not just warn us not to drift. It also tells us how to stay anchored. And I want to share with you some scriptures scattered throughout Hebrews right now that, that, that tell us how to stay anchored. Four ways to stay anchored. The obvious command, if you look at it again here in Hebrews 2, the obvious command here is to pay attention. 
pay the most careful attention. Do not drift. Do not ignore such a great salvation. And it says this because you never get closer to God by drifting. When you drift, you're moving away from God. You've got to pay attention. So let me suggest four ways to stay anchored in Christ. Number one, realize what's at stake. You need to realize what's at stake here. Look at Hebrews 2, verses 2 and 3. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This passage in Hebrews 2 is the first of five major warnings in Hebrews. In fact, these five warning passages, scholars call them the warning passages in, in this letter to the Hebrews. By the way, we don't know who wrote the letter of Hebrews. It used to be thought that, that Paul did uh, back in the day, but, but we know Paul didn't write this. We, the truth is we don't know for sure who wrote this letter to Hebrews, so I just keep saying the author or he. So he, Hebrews 2 is the first of five major warnings, and, and they're scattered throughout this letter of Hebrews, and it brings up a controversial question, brings up a controversial issue. And it's controversial because you'll get different answers depending on, you know, Christians will give different answers, churches and denominations will give different answers to these questions. Uh, And the question is, can a true believer lose his or her salvation? If you are really a Christian, is it possible for you to drift away and reject Christ and end up in hell? So I'm going to let you chew on that issue and chew on that question for a couple of weeks because it's going to come up time and again as we work our way through Hebrews, especially when we come across one of these five warning passages. But here's what I want you to see right now. In every one of these warning passages, the writer points us back to the Old Testament points us back to the Old Covenant, points us back to Israel in the Old Testament. He says, look at what happened to them. Look at Israel. God brought them out of Egypt. He rescued them. He performed miracles. He took them across the Red Sea, out into the wilderness, into the promised land. And if God punished them when they disobeyed, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation through Jesus Christ? Strong words. Hebrews is very strong, very challenging. Hebrews says, don't you dare ignore the great salvation you've been given in Christ. If God punished people under the old covenant that was given through Moses and angels, how shall we escape if we ignore a great salvation given to us through his own son, Jesus Christ? Realize what's at stake here. Are you drifting? Realize what's at stake here. You do not play games with the living God. A second way to anchor yourself in Christ, reflect on your options. Reflect on your options. You realize what's at stake, and then you also reflect on your options. What do you, what do you have if you drift away from Jesus? What do you have? Are you really drifting away to something better? If you reject Christ or fall away from Christ or if you drift away from Christ, do you really have a better place to go, something better to do? Are you going to really end up in a better place? We've called this whole series on Hebrews better because it's the major theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better 
Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus is faithful as a son. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. It's the theme of of Hebrews. Let me just quickly share with you some scriptures from Hebrews. Hebrews 7.19, for the law was made, made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. He's talking about Old Testament versus New Testament. The law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So we have a better hope. 722, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So we have a better hope, we have a better covenant, Hebrews 8, 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So we have a better hope, we have a better covenant, we have better promises. And then in 1034, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So we have a better hope, a better covenant, better promises, better and lasting possessions. And then in 1116, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we have a better country. And then in 1135, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. So we have a better hope, a better covenant, a better promise, better and lasting possessions, a better country, a better resurrection. You see, Jesus is better. He is your best option. You drift away from Christ. What do you have? So you reflect on your options. You realize what's at stake. And the third way to anchor into Christ is to get into God's Word. You get into God's Word. Hebrews 4, 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We're going to focus specifically on this text a few weeks from now. But look at it. The Word of God is alive and active. You see, you need to get into God's Word so that God's Word gets into you. And when you let God's Word into you, it is alive, and it is active, and and it will change you. It will penetrate down deep into your soul into your spirit, and it will judge your thoughts and attitudes of your heart. You see, it's so easy, especially for those of us who have been Christians for many, many years, it's so easy for us to just kind of get lazy and to start drifting. And on the outside, we look so nice and so good, and everybody says, oh, great Christian, oh, look at them. But God knows. God knows your heart. Because his word is alive and active and he sees your thoughts and attitudes of of the heart. And he says, no, no, no. On the outside, they look so nice and proper, but I know. I know their thoughts. I know their attitudes. They're drifting. They're drifting. You need to get into God's word. You say, Greg, you know, I'm so busy. I just don't have time to read. 
And, and what I'm hearing more and more nowadays is that so many people don't like to read. We're, we're such a visual, such a movie kind of culture that so many people don't read and, and don't really read very well. And, and so I can understand if you have struggled, you know, not reading well, it's hard to really enjoy reading. It's, it's sad that it's becoming almost a lost art in our, in our society where you should be able to read and understand and enjoy. But, but let me tell you, there's help for you because you've got to get God's Word because it's alive and active and it will get into your soul and change you. You've got to get it into your heart, into your mind. And, and, and you, you don't even have to read it because, you know, there's this new technology out there. There's this new technology called a cell phone. And, and you, it actually has different apps on it. And, and there's hundreds and hundreds of different apps where you can download the Bible, all kinds of versions and everything. In fact, the, the one I use all the time is called YouVersion, Y-O-U, YouVersion. And it's wonderful. It, it has Bible reading plans. It, it also has different translations, different versions of the Bible, uh, whatever you, want, you care to read. It, it's probably there. And what is beautiful is, is that most of the versions, not all, but most of the versions, you can actually just hit a button and somebody will read the Bible to you. Isn't that incredible? And so a, a habit that I'm trying to build into my life just recently is when I first get up in the morning, and, you know, I have to, have to shave, and I have to brush my teeth, and, you know, you have to do all that stuff to get ready for the day, is I just take my phone, and I find a passage of Scripture, and, and I hit play. And I can just be getting ready, and, and, and listen to someone read Scripture. And now, how easy is that? It's not even taking up any more time of your busy day. So instead of just kind of brushing your teeth and staring into the mirror and just, you know, thinking about really nothing, you, you, can, you can be listening to God's Word because it's living, it's active, and it will change you. You can listen to it on the way to work, but somehow, some way, you've got to get into God's Word. So you reflect on your options. You realize what's at stake. You get into God's Word. And fourth, you tap into the power of community. You tap into the power of community. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some people even back then didn't want to go to church. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to unpack this passage a few weeks from now, but, but look at it. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You need to tap into the power of community. Do you realize there's tremendous power in community, tremendous power in our relationships with one another? Are you always thinking just about yourself and what's in it for you? Or are, do, are, there, are there times, hopefully many times, when you think, hmm, I'm going to consider. How can I spur someone else along toward love, towards good deeds? Do you realize this is what the church community is supposed to be? It's where we come together and we do life together. And we consider how we can encourage each other how we can spur each other on toward love 
and good deeds. There's tremendous power in community. Sometimes when we were out on the lake and, you know, maybe on a raft and, and you kind of just drifting away and not even know it, and one of us would say, hey, hey, you're drifting pretty far out there. Oh, thanks, thanks, you know, and got to come back, got to come back. It's the power of community, the co power of relationships where, where we're looking out for each other. Hopefully every now and then you're looking up and looking around and, and you're looking in our own church community and you go, hmm, I wonder where so-and-so has been. I wonder, you know, I, I, hopefully they're not drifting away. Hey, and you can, you can call them. You, you can, hey, you know, hey, we got this happening, you know, and let's, let's go out to lunch, whatever. And you can call some drifting Christian back into community. It's hard. It's hard to be a Lone Ranger Christian. If you think you can believe in Jesus and not belong to his family, chances are you're drifting. Because it's hard to stay on course all by yourself. It's hard to fight the currents all by yourself. We need each other. We need each other. The power of community. Let's pray together. Lord, you know how easily we drift. We have these currents all around us. The pleasures and pressures of life. Intellectual doubts. Our own sinful nature. Lord, by your grace today, we resolve not to drift. We resolve to pay attention. Lord, we want to be anchored in you because you are better. You're better than all the other options. If we drift away from you, what do we have? So, Lord, give us grace to spur one another on toward love. And good deeds, help us to tap into the power of community. Help us not to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Help us to encourage each other so that we do not drift. And all God's people say, amen, amen.